Boy, I'm really excited. I don't know why, but I'm just very thankful for your goodness to us, for your mercy and your grace. You are so, so patient and so merciful and so kind to me and to us. And I really thank you for that. Thank you for your care and your love. Um, I'm just kind of overwhelmed by the fact that I am secure in you. And yet at the same time as I get older and I hear about these people getting cancer and all kinds of um, physical problems and it kind of scares you in a way because you, you know you're getting older, you're getting more vulnerable. Uh, and yet at the same time, I know that in you, we are perfectly secure and could not be safer. Uh, the goal of our lives is not to be just to live a long, safe life but to seek to honor you. And that's the thing that I would like to do and don't do. Uh, I struggle with that all the time. We were talking this morning about uh, light coming into the world, uh, but men love darkness rather than light. And the reason is it's because they love their sin too much. And I know what I know that experientially in my life, the things that I, that I just wouldn't want to get rid of and uh, for you. And yet you are so far superior to everything that we can have or seek or own. So I thank you for, I thank you for your love for us and your care for us. And I thank you for working in our hearts as you've said in Psalm 37 that uh, we delight in you, you will refashion and give us the desires of the heart that come from you. And I'm very thankful for that. And I ask you to do that in my life. And I ask you to do that in our lives. And so as we're gathered here this morning, we all have needs and we all have passions and burdens and things that uh, are crossing across our path. We look around us at the world and we see a lot of scary things happening, things that are being permitted that would never have been permitted several years ago. And it's a kind of a scary world. And yet at the same time, uh, it's a world that needs you and help us to be a lighthouse, help us to be your voice, help us to be sensitive, to be bold, to take a stand for righteousness and to live that stand and help us to be um, your message of the gospel to this world in this day and time and help us to be effective. It's not that we have a big mouth, but rather that you are able to use us and our mouths for your glory and our lives, our lives speak. So help us to be faithful in that. And I pray your blessing upon this time this morning as we look at your word, chapter 2. Now we ask you to open our hearts. And uh, as my son mentioned earlier in the Sunday school lesson, uh, that he was aware of the limitations of the speaker. And I certainly am even more than that aware of it. And yet I also am aware of the power of your word and the power of your spirit. So I pray that you will work in our hearts, in our midst with the intention of bringing honor and glory to our Savior, that he would be lifted up and that he would draw men to himself, people to himself. And I pray your blessing upon this, this time this morning, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to understand and for the, their hearts may be encouraged held together even until all the 
into all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding unto the full knowledge of God's mystery, that Christ himself, in whom were hidden all the knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments, with, with persuasive argument, but even the spirit rejoicing to see your good order and of your faith in Christ. As you are Christ Jesus Lord, so we are and abounding with thanksgiving. This, this, uh, this uh, Paul follows the section that he was dealing with himself. I, Paul, he introduces, we introduced it last time in the beginning, talked about his ministry. And now he's going to be his heart. Um, so often, I, I think we're burdened with funny things like uh, going to Disney World or maybe taking a cruise. Those was two things that both my wife and I used to look forward to and think about. Or we were talking the other day about bed and breakfast. Sometimes we'd take a weekend and have a bed and breakfast. And we look forward to those things. They're kind of a, a time away, a time, kind of a break from the normal pressures and the normal routine. And we look forward to those things. But Paul seemed to be, most of all, not burdened so much for his vacation as he was for the work of the church that he's been involved in. Remember, Paul was a Pharisee, and he was very aggressively persecuting the church. And he started out just dragging men and women and even kids off the jail prison, having many of them beaten, and he would even cast his vote against them, and they would be stoned, killed. And he was a ruthless person in that sense, and yet he was convinced he was doing what was right. He was persecuting the church, which was opposite to the Old Testament, the teachings of the Jews and things of that nature. And so he was very aggressive in that. But the Lord met him on the way to Damascus and uh, challenged him, uh, opened his heart and uh, asked, asked him the question you're familiar with, why are you, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, Saul, so stunned, said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Turned him around. Um, the, just a conversion that really set his his life in a completely opposite vein. And so Paul has now been begun to develop a passion for the gospel and a passion for God's people and a burden for God's people. We I know that we're concerned with the church here. It's a small church and we're uh, judging sometimes by numbers, but I, I'm encouraged because I can see him working in the hearts of the people. That's the hard thing. Um, it's a, it's a hard thing to see somebody turn around and have their hearts open and that their lives begin to grow and to develop, uh, desiring to serve the Lord and to surrender to him. Uh, we, can, we can organize programs and make uh, uh, different schedules for meetings. We're talking about having a dinner or we're talking about a Super Bowl and fellowship and we can schedule those things. But you cannot plan and schedule the changed life. You cannot change the heart. And when Christ gets hold of the heart and the life, the life begins to deny its itself and is willing to take up its cross and follow Jesus. That's somebody that's totally surrendered. That's a miracle. And that's what God's doing. That's what the church is. The church is like a spiritual hospital, a place where, where people whose lives need help and whose lives are not right and that there's confusion and there's distortion and and uh, dissension and 
all kinds of self-centered issues that get in the way of what God wants to do in our hearts and lives. And they do. They get in the way. They did in my way. I know that that passion uh, of uh, wanting to, to uh, turn from light to darkness because my deeds are evil. I know what it's like <clears throat> to be confronted with them. I'm willing to turn away from these things and put Jesus first. And that's an ongoing choice, but it's the right choice to do. It's the right thing to do. <clears throat> and only God can help you do that. Repentance is not something you can do in the flesh. It's something that the Lord has to do in your life. So I was thinking about this and thinking about this passage where Paul begins to introduce this subject. And one of the, the verses, you can look at it with me if you like, is over in Acts 20, which is just sort of an introduction to the church. And that, that passage in Acts 20, you are familiar with. It was the verses in which Paul uh, going back to Jerusalem um, after he'd been working with the church, stops by Miletus and calls for the leadership of the church in Ephesus because he wants to confront them, wants to talk to them a little bit uh, about concern in his heart. And uh, he's Paul has been told by the Holy Spirit through several Christian churches and Christian groups that when he goes to Jerusalem, Bonds uh, await him, uh, chains await him. He's going to be, he's going to suffer physically. And they've been warning Paul about that. Well, Paul's response is, I'm not concerned about myself. I want to do the work that the Lord has given me. And I'm, I want to put him first, regardless of what kind of suffering lies in the, in the pathway. And I, I would like to have that same uh, kind of passion. I don't know if I do, but I would like to have that kind of passion that puts the work of the Lord first. But in this church there in Ephesus with these leaders, they were been gathered together in a little town not far from Ephesus. And um, Paul has been talking to them. And he writes down, or we, we, he says in Acts 20, 28, he tells the church there to be on guard for yourselves, which is kind of a warning to us that, uh, that the church is always threatened perhaps with enemy uh, it's, it's kind of walking in enemy territory because the world is not a friend of the gospel. And so there is a sense in which we are maybe always aware of danger. He says, tells them, be guard, be on guard for yourselves. And then he's, he stops there. Well, he doesn't stop there, but I want to stop there for a moment because he's talking about the leadership of the church. And he said, guys, look in the mirror. Where do we see the greatest danger? The greatest danger starts with yourself. There are temptations and things that can draw, draw you away and detour you and distract you. So be in guard for yourselves and for the flock that's among you. The flock being the sheep, the people in the church. People are like sheep. People are easily led astray. Uh, I think of uh, Peter after the Lord told him to the disciples after his... his uh, crucifixion and resurrection he had met them several times and he told them i'll meet you up in in galilee and so they were all sitting around in the in the, the room there in galilee waiting for the lord and getting kind of tired of sitting there and finally peter said you know what i'm going to go fishing oh yeah i'm going to go yeah we're going to go and everybody got up and they got in different boats and they, everybody went out at the same time didn't take it just only took one beer and they all decided to go fishing and that's the way we are we, we're easily distracted we're easily led astray and uh, we, we, and I'm not saying, <laughs> heaven forbid, that I would say going fishing is being led astray. It's, I'm not saying that. 
Amen. But, but it is true that it just takes one um, move in the direction and it can result in other people going in that same direction. So Paul writes and says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. Who is it that has placed the overseers in position? It's the Holy Spirit. He's done. He did it. And it's, it's like uh, in the New Testament when we see uh, Saul and Barnabas and they were um, gathered around in the upper room and the Holy Spirit said, separate you guys, these guys from me for the work that I call them to. Pull them apart. I'm, I'm sending them out. Sending them out. I want you to support them. And that the Holy Spirit is doing that. He works. He works in our midst as well. He works among the people. I've seen him work in, in, the, in the lives and the hearts of the people. I've been to meetings where you've been teaching. And I've enjoyed what you had to say, both Larry and Pete and Rick, David, all of you. I can see the Lord working in your hearts and lives. And I, I uh, and, and Eric, I appreciate your, your, what God is doing. He's the one that's working. And so here's, here's this, this work, the overseers, that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And the job that he's having for you to do is to shepherd, like a pastor, the church of God. The pastor, of course, there is a formal call of the pastor, but all of us have positions in life in which we shepherd people. If you're a parent, you have kids and you shepherd them and your job of shepherding them is to kind of keep them out of trouble and teach them what's right and wrong. We are in a society today in which people are going around and shooting anybody they disagree with. That's very violent. And the reason is, is you can blame it on the parents. Because the parents are there to teach them how to obey and, and teach them to submit to authority and, and let them know that they can the kids can't have everything they want. And if they don't get what they want, they get mad. They want to kill something or blow something up or, or set fire or whatever. And uh, so we need we need that kind of external pressure uh, on the kids and we need it in the church. We need people not that are tyrants, not that that uh, the shepherds are bullying or embarrassing kids or whatever, but that we need that oversight in the church. We need it. We need it. It comes from God and it comes from the, the Lord who is our shepherd. And I appreciate the, the lessons that we've been looking in John's gospel, John chapter 10, where Jesus is the good shepherd and he watches over the flock. And uh, that's important. And, and he calls others to be under shepherds on his behalf who are not tyrants, but in submission to him. And so he says, Paul, I'm, I'm getting to what we're looking at. I know I'm taking a little bit of time, but this is a good verse. So I just wanted to look at it. He says that um, he's, called, he's called you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, the church which he purchased with his own blood. That's just a reminder of the extensively impressive cost that it cost him to purchase the church. But we are purchased. We are not our own. The Bible makes that clear. We belong to him. And so we're his property. He takes care of his property. That's what he's doing here. He's, he's entrusting this, you know, his property, to those people that he's called aside to be overseers. He says, I know that after my departure, this is his trip going to Jerusalem. Paul says, after my departure, they're not just people that are going to come in, not just enemies. He calls them savage wolves. Savage wolves will come in among you. That's a description of these people that are coming in that will that will rise up, that will enter into this warfare. We talked about the church being in enemy territory, that being uh, in hostile ground, that there will be people that will be hostile, that will be savage, there will be wolves. Wolves come among sheep. 
So you got God's flock, his sheep, and you've got those that come in among them that they are savage wolves and they are not sparing the flock. The flock there happens to be the sheep, the church, the savage wolves will come in and they're brutal and they're not concerned for your hurt feelings or the condition of your widows and other things. They are there for their own selfish gain. They will not spare the flock. And from among your own selves, men will rise up speaking perverted, perverse, destructive things. It's interesting, by the way, that the distraction comes upon men that are speaking things, things that they start teaching, things that they start seeing, and put ideas in the minds of the people that are destructive ideas. It comes verbally there. He said they will be speaking perverse things, and they will draw away the disciples after themselves. They're not going to speak perverted things and send disciples out. They're going to be speaking perverted things to draw disciples unto themselves. They're having their own following. Uh, that happens frequently. They appear on television and other places like that. We can see them today. There's a lot of discouraging things that go on, disgusting things. And so the church needs to have overseers and people in charge that, that know the scriptures and they can warn about these kind of things and that, that just to help us stay on track. Therefore, he says, because of this, <clears throat> Paul says, be watchful. Remember that night and day, here is Paul's life, Paul's ministry. Here's his burden. This is what I was getting at. Mm. Night and day for a period of three years. I did not cease to admonish each one, even with tears. So Paul is saying that I admonished publicly, and I'm sure from house to house, as he said, other places, uh, admonish and, and uh, direct and encourage the people uh, night and day. Nighttime might be home at a dinner time or somebody dying, they would call them over to the bedside or whatever, but night and day. I seek for a period of three years. I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. So the point is that what I'm getting at, this is just at the beginning, introduction of this, is that Paul had a real burden and he was really involved in the work of the Lord, really concerned for the church. We can see his concern coming out here. It carries a passion of his instruction <clears throat> and it carries the, the uh, compassion of his, his uh, interest here. And so he's really serious about this. So let's look at this. Let's look at this first part of this first verse and see what Paul has to say. Verse one is that I want you to understand how great a struggle, that word struggle there, if you get your, your little app that has the Greek text, it's the word agon from which you get the word agonize. Paul says, I want you to know what great a agony I've had on your behalf for those who are there to see and all of those who have not seen my face or in the flesh. <clears throat> Paul says, I just, I'm, I'm letting you know that I have gone through some agony about you and for you and on your behalf. You are concerned to me, and I'm concerned for you. The church there at Laodicea, he says, you've not seen my face. He's never been there. But remember that he's heard the word. He's been instructed by some of the friends that he had mutual friends that were in the church. And so he's concerned about that. He says, I've heard about what's going on, some of the things, some of the distractions and stuff. But I just want you to know that I'm really having a a struggle for you. I'm really entering into this this uh, concern for you, and so and I've, I've had it on your behalf. <clears throat> and and he lists the church of Laodicea there, and Laodicea, and for all of those who have not seen my face. So he's writing to this area in Galatia, the church of Colossae and Laodicea, and others. 
And he's just, he, in this letter, he's saying that I want you to know that this letter is coming from the heart of somebody that's really burdened and really concerned. I don't know what occupies your time. Right, letter writing to me uh, is an investment in time because I, I can't sit down. And, my son can sit down and write out a letter and very quickly and get it done. And I have other friends that have graduated from from uh, school that majored in journalism and they are very easy, but it's not easy for me. It takes me time. It takes time for me to write down a letter and to put it together and to organize it so that it makes somewhat good sense. And uh, so here's Paul and he's got a time. He's taking his time to write this letter and he's letting them know that, that he's concerned for them. And that he's, he, that concern comes out in his writings. He did the same thing kind of, uh, to Timothy, which is the several verses I just wanted to read to you in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> where the, there's a, a discussion there. Paul has been making his, his uh, contact to Timothy and been discussing the power of the gospel and the influence of the gospel to overcome his chains and his burdens and the strength of the gospel to move, to change lives. And he says, um, He's been talking about remaining steadfast and to stay faithful even under suffering because he was persecuted. And under in that vein of staying faithful in spite of suffering, he says, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There he says, <clears throat> he's talking about the, the chains and the suffering that are have been facing him and uh, he says, for this reason, I endure all things. Um, the word endure there means to remain steadfast, uh, to remain faithful under suffering, uh, to remain faithful in the face of opposition. That's kind of what he means when he says endure. So he's telling Timothy, I endure all things. I remain steadfast. Um, I stay faithful in the midst of opposition for the sake of the elect. The elect of those that God has called, has chosen. You are those that I trust has, he's called you out. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you're his elect. You have responded. You know that. How do you know that? By the by, your heart, the fact that you want to love him, that you that the Spirit works in your life, that you understand the Word, that's, that you're faithful to those things. Those The life confirms the calling, and that's that's really important. If you don't have that, that confirmation in your life, ask the Lord to help you find it, help you to come to know him, uh, because that's, that's, that's really important. It's a real important issue. And so here he is. He says, uh, I do all things for the sake of the elect so that they might obtain salvation. There, there are those that God has called that Paul is preaching and trying to reach so that they would come to know the Lord. We don't know <clears throat> who the elect are, by the way, uh, who are outside the faith, those that are yet coming. We, we seek to reach out to the world around us. We'll try to reach the people outside, people that we've called non-believers. That's why we keep praying. Yes, that's right. Exactly right. That's exactly why we do that. We keep praying and asking the Lord to give us wisdom and then to be faithful with the things so that, you know, the, the, your life speaks to people that you work with. It speaks to people that your neighbors that, that you run into. And so, and you can have people who ask you, I've had you, you, people ask you why you have the joy and you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and I've had people, I had one man ask me one morning when I was in at seven o'clock saying, do you, are you intentionally trying to be happy or, or jovial in, in this morning? 
And uh, I don't know how you answer that. I, <laughs> I don't, not trying to intentionally be happy and jovial, but I did spend time with the Lord this morning. That makes a difference. It really does. And so anyway, uh, Paul is talking about this, about those who suffer. And uh, he, he, he's saying you need to be willing to suffer because the gospel is, is the message that delivers us. And it's the message that changes the church. Um, God is not... You talk to Timothy, he's telling Timothy, Tim, in the face of being timid and shy, Paul, Paul writes to Timothy and says, don't be ashamed of either the witness about our Lord or me, his, his prisoner, but join with me, be willing to be associated with me, because it was embarrassing in a way to be associated with this man who was always going to prison, was always have his picture on the post office, so to speak, and, and uh, he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Because it's God's power is involved in that. We, we, we don't suffer very easily by ourselves. I don't. I don't like that. I, and I was, I've talked to some of the young people, and they have talked about how friends make fun of them at school and say bad things. That's what Jesus said. He said, rejoice and be glad when people say all kinds of false things, no matter of false things about you, falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be glad. They pursue the prophets, great is your reward. And so if our lives make a difference and uh, they, they uh, understand that we belong to the Savior, it's a good thing. So here is this burden. Paul, we see this burden that he talks about suffering for the gospel. Maybe one more one more text that I'd like to share with you. Um, well, there's more than one, but this was a big one. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. All this, he's dealing with some people who are claiming to be apostles and are trying to discredit Paul's apostolic <clears throat> And he's dealing with those people in the church at Corinth. And so he's going to list, which is uncharacteristic of Paul, but he's going to list his credentials <clears throat> as an apostle. And his credentials that verify his ap apostleship are his scars. <clears throat> that he has endured a lot of things because of his commitment to the Lord Jesus and his willingness to be his apostle. So he says this, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 21, to my shame, <clears throat> I must say that we have been weak. Now he's, he's comparing himself now with his false apostles. Right? He says, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison to them, what he's saying. But in whatever respect anyone else is daring and bragging about themselves, and I speak in fully, this is, this is hard for Paul. I'm speaking stupid. I'm standing up patting myself on the back. I don't do that. I speak foolishness. I'm just as daring myself. And why he's doing this? He's doing this because the ministry is on the line. And there are people that are listening to these false apostles. And uh, they're, they're you know, people are sheep. They just go off and follow anything, and so he's he wanted to warn he's wanted to warn them and let them. And so he's saying, "I'm just I want to draw to your attention, show you the difference." And so he says, um, "Whatever else uh, is daring, I speak with foolishness. I'm just as daring myself." Are they Hebrews? And that was important to be a Hebrew. The Hebrews and the Pharisee and so on and so forth. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's seed? So am I. That doesn't matter to us. But to the Jewish community and the people there in the church, that was a very important issue. And so he said, they claim to be Hebrews, they claim to be sons of Abraham, so am I. They have nothing on me. 
They are all are they ministers of Christ? Are they servants of Christ? Well, he he says, uh, and now I'm speaking and saying, I more so, more than them, far more labors. That's hard working. I've, I have struggled a lot more than they have, and far more imprisonments, in beatings, um, without number. In other words, I've been beaten so many times I don't even have to count. In uh, frequent dangers of in frequent danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes. Uh, the, the law, the Jewish law, said that 40 lashes was enough to possibly kill someone, so they reduced it by one in order to stay within the legal parameters. So it was 40 lashes minus one. Five times uh, I received that. That's pretty severe. Uh, thus, uh, three times I was beaten with rods. The uh, Romans had a series of rods that were bundled together and they could use those, it would, all the rods would hit your back and it would really hurt and leave sores and welts. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked the night and the day I spent in the deep. And by the way, this is not the, the shipwreck that he later had at Malta. That was later, that was the fall. So he was shipwrecked before then and he spent a night and a day in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, swollen rivers would be hard to traverse, and if it was cold, it would be very difficult. There would be dangers from robbers. That was a real danger back traveling back then. All kinds of dangers from people along the way that wanted to take uh, take your hostage, take your money, to beat you, to leave you uh, dead. Remember the, the story of the Good Samaritan was one of those people that was traveling, and he was beaten and left for dead. That was not uncommon. Dangers from countrymen. Dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the des desolate places, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship in many sleepless nights. Sleepless nights are one of the most uncomfortable things. I hate to go to bed and can't sleep. Many sleepless nights. I know what it means to be starving, starvation as well as thirst, be often just dying of having something to drink and can't find anything to drink. I've been hungry, I've been cold, I've, I've been exposed without enough clothing. And apart from these external things, there is this daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So here's a, you, you, can you see the burden? Can you see the passion in, in heart, in Paul's heart? Uh, it's almost laughable that we talk about how we've suffered a little bit or how we've had to endure or that you know the weather the start is having a little snow flurry outside and i can't go out and put myself at risk or something like that paul paul put his life on the line and he really pulled out all the stops and he's an example that i would like to follow i would like for that example to to emulate my life we don't even come close to that and uh, so but here's paul and you can see his his burden and I, his concern something that that concerns me is my concern for the church and my concern for the people. I want to be concerned. I want to be more concerned than I am. I want my heart to be more burdened than it is. I want my life to be more committed than it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm just saying that it's not what it should be. It's not, I don't have the passion that I want to have, that I need to have, that I should have. And uh, God is the one that grants that. And I just ask him to help me live that life and to, to be faithful. And I know you do the same thing. You want that. You can't generate that by yourself. You have to pursue the Lord, to seek his face, to spend time with him and his word, 
and ask him to open your heart. And he can do that. And he will do that. He will open your heart and help you to see uh, <clears throat> if you come to him. So here's this picture. Um, and, and Paul is just relating how his heart was. He talked about uh, in 2 Corinthians, he said, our mouth has spoken freely to you. I've been open with you guys. He's talking to the church at Corinth in this particular passage. And he said, <clears throat> our heart is open wide to you. In other words, I don't, I don't come with deception. I don't come with a secret agenda. I'm being open to you. My heart is open to you. My heart is involved in you. And I do care for you. I do love you. And I, and I want to be, um, I want to be there with you. The church at Philippi was a church that uh, really gave sacrificial, if you remember, when they, they really gave and supported Paul, and they supported him uh, during his times of imprisonment. He writes to them, and he says, um, for I am confident of this very thing, writing to the church at Philippi, he says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. What is only right? <clears throat> I haven't forgotten these uh, cough drops, David. <clears throat> it's only right for me to think this way about you because I have you in my heart. I love you. I care for you. There's again, there's that burden, there's that passion. Since both my chains have you in my heart, since both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You've been full protected with me of his grace. That's when he was in prison and they stood by him and they supported him and they were praying for him. And he really appreciates that. God is my witness how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. So the point is, and I'll move on to the text. The point is that uh, Paul was burdened. He loved the church. He cared for the church. He poured his heart, his life out for the church. Um, and it was a serious thing to him. Now, another aspect of this text is, <clears throat> and I touched on it, but he was he was concerned not just with the one church, but for all the churches that were there. He talks about Laodicea. And um, we mentioned in uh, the book of Colossians of chapter 4, which we're not at yet, he talks about some of these people that he knew knows that he's giving greetings to them. He talks about Luke, who is the beloved physician, chapter 14, I mean, chapter <coughs> 4, verse 14. Um, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Demas later became a defector. Um, greet the brothers who are in Laodicea, and also uh, Nympha, and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and you, on your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. All he's saying is that I'm concerned for all the churches there. I've not seen any of them. They've not, I've not been there, but I'm concerned, and I've been praying for them and asking, uh, praying on your behalf and asking the Lord to, to uh, work there in your midst. So what was it that gave Paul this burden? One thing, and we'll be done with this, uh, this topic here, and that is it have to be his love for Christ. Hmm. Because to love Christ and have him as the Lord of your life gives you a love for the brethren. In First John, which is a John we're looking at, the book we're looking at in the evening, chapter 2, John writes, If one says, I have come to know him, that is, know the Lord, and does not keep his commandments, he is a liar. 
So what is he saying here? He's saying that if you say you love the Lord, you're going to obey him. It's just a simple statement there. It's, it's an actual fact. The truth is, and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God has been perfected. Think about what he just said. Whoever keeps God's word, the love that God has given us for God and for our fellow men, that love of God has been perfected, has been matured, is being developed, is growing, so that if you're in God's word, and you're spending time in God's word, he will work in your heart and your relationship with your fellow man, your brothers and your sisters and others. He, the relationship is a, it's kind of a barometer. How you get along with your brothers and sisters is kind of a barometer of how you're in your relationship with God. And he makes that clear in the scriptures. He says, um, by this, he talked about that relationship. By this, we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him all himself to walk in the same manner. It all affect your life. Um, in John uh, chapter 3 of 1 John, John writes, By this we know love, that he has, he has laid down his life for us. This is what love looks like. He lays his life down for us. And because he laid down his life for us, he set the example so that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's why this love of Christ is given as an example of the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. And it's a love that should, should identify us, that we put others before ourselves. We put Christ first because we love him. We, we put others first. You understand? You, does that make sense to you? It's really, really important. Um, one more verse in 1 John um, chapter 4 verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves. And by the way, loving is not just an emotion, it's an action. So to love someone means you do things for them, you put them first, you seek to serve and, and uh, sacrifice for others. So he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves, who gives, who is sacrificially given and caring, for others has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love, who is living just for himself, by himself, does not know God because God is love. By this we love God. By this the love of God was manifested or made known or made visible or revealed. By this <clears throat> the love of God is manifested in us <clears throat> that God has sent his only uniquely born son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son for us. He sent his son into the world that we might live. He sent his son to the world to give us an example of how we should live. In this, love is not. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment or the propitiation for our sins. Now you, you know that's true. You know that God loves us. You know that he has given sacrificially uh, that we might have life, that he's paid the price for our sins to, to, to deliver us from the wrath of God, because that's a horrible wrath, that he's paid that price to deliver us from the wrath of God. If God so loved us and gave himself for us, we ought also to love one another. We just what we said a minute ago. If God's loved us, that should show in us that we ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. No one has seen God at any time. No one has, has understood God at any time. What he's saying, 
Knowing that beheld God at any time. If we love one another, then what he's saying, God is abiding in us. People can see him in us. If we if we love one another, if we are abiding in him, then God can be seen in us. And that speaks to people. That's where the witness comes. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected or completed or consummated or fulfilled or finished in us. That's what he's saying. So we need passage we're looking at by saying he do it so that their heart may be encouraged. To encourage comes from the idea of Uh, the you know, to call someone alongside. It doesn't necessarily mean tell us why, but to be called alongside. And so Paul is saying, I'm encouraging their hearts to be able to come alongside. And usually it has to do with exhorting them or encouraging them or comforting them or for you. Um, both the churches of Laodicea and all the other churches, those who haven't not seen my face, so that your hearts might be encouraged or challenged, uh, even educated, uh, so that you can overcome the deceptions and the distractions that are around you and be encouraged. Uh, the heart is the issue. It's a very important heart. Proverbs says, guard your heart uh, with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. So he wants Paul wants their heart to be encouraged. My son, listen, be wise. Uh, direct your heart in the way that you, it should go. This is this is this is really important. Uh, the heart or the mind, which does the thinking, the, the be able to reason things out. That's what he's talking about. Uh, and so he tells us to, to do that. He says in Psalm 139, to search me, to know my heart. You don't know your heart. I don't know my heart. What does Jeremiah 17, 9 say? The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or desperately wicked. We don't know our heart. The following text talks about God searches the heart. He knows the heart and he reveals the heart. Paul says, I'm writing here and I'm seeking to serve so that your heart will be encouraged uh, and you'll be challenged. And um, Jesus said, the mouth speaks out of what's in the heart. What's in the heart comes out of the mouth. And uh, so, and it reveals uh, what's in your heart. What comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. Um, Matthew 12, the, the, word, the text says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? That's because what's evil is in your heart. You can't speak what is good. But the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of the evil treasure what is evil. What comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. And so Paul is saying, I, I want your heart to be challenged and I want you to grow and to be encouraged by these things. And so I've been burdened for you of that. I've really been burdened for your heart and burdened what's going on in your life. And uh, the burden comes from my relationship with the Lord and my passion well, let me, let me close in prayer. Father, I do thank you for the burden that Paul has, and I would like to have that same kind of burden. It's easy <coughs> to preach about it sometimes, but it's not always easy uh, to do it. <coughs> but it is real, 
And you give us that burden and you give us that passion. And I'm very thankful to you for that. Thank you that you don't leave us where we are. Thank you that you have, have worked in our hearts and our lives. And everybody here this morning, nobody's by accident. So I just pray that you'd be speaking to our hearts and challenging our hearts and helping us to take you seriously. And that you would be working, giving us the burdens and giving us our, our wisdom and direction and our relationship with you. That you'd be working in our hearts that we might become firm, might be firm and steadfast and faithful and serve you with all of our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name and thanksgiving. Amen.